the theme of water, the theme of renewal, the theme of baptism is so important in Epiphany. We talked about this New Year's same promises that God is never changing. He's the same today and tomorrow and yesterday. And we sang about that just now, and it worked so perfectly to bring us into this time. And we talked about the first week how Epiphany is this on this realization, this showing, this appearing, this, this announcement of someone, who it is. We sometimes have epiphanies in our lives where we, that, oh, it just came to me. I just re, it just dawned on me. I had a realization. It was a brilliant idea that I just had. And then I forgot it because I didn't write it down. We think of it sometimes as a manifestation. But it literally means to shine on something, to illuminate. And so we said that in Christ, God's perfect promises, his eternal promises, his never-changing character are revealed. They're announced in who Jesus is. And this is the perfect moment of the announcement as God descends from heaven as a dove in the Holy Spirit and settles on Christ and says, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased with. And so we said in week one that God's promise of pursuit, that God pursues after us and, and we pursue after others around us in that community, in that building of the kingdom. And last week we unpacked a little bit of what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the very beginning of the first letter to them, where God's faithfulness is all about creating a faithfulness in us. It's about creating a sense of, I've been here before because God is with me. And so this week we come to a moment of righteousness in the desert, in the Jordan, that Jesus and John are here together, and we celebrate baptism during the weeks of Epiphany because it reveals who Christ is to us. God is there in the desert, on the, in the Jordan River, with all those people, and he reveals to us who Christ is. He reveals to us what Christ has come to do. The amazing thing about this revelation is that we have no idea who Jesus is without this revelation, without this announcement, without this proclamation of God coming like a dove from heaven onto Jesus and announcing that this is my beloved son. We have no way of knowing that Jesus is who he says he is without this moment to start it off. It launches his ministry. It launches who he is. And people there are witnesses to say, yeah, Jesus is who he says he is because I remember the dove came down. I remember that moment. I remember the baptism that John gave him in the desert at the Jordan River. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all open the story of Jesus' ministry with the story of his baptism. All three of those Gospels are clear that Jesus' ministry starts here. In fact, not all of the, only Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Christ, the Christmas story, but all three of them talk about his baptism because this was an important moment in the ministry of Jesus. And you have to think of it from John's perspective. John is there in the desert. He's in the Jordan River, and he's just baptizing people. 
The kingdom of heaven is near. Dunk. The kingdom of heaven is near. Dunk. The kingdom of heaven is near. Dunk. Next. Step right up. An assembly line of people leaving the city, leaving Judea and coming to the wilderness and meeting John here and saying, we give up our identity. We want to be known as people that have met with God here. And then all of a sudden, as John's doing this, Jesus arrives on the scene, and he just does not want to do this thing. He doesn't want to be the one to baptize Jesus. I'm not worthy to do it. Remember what Peter says to Jesus when he's washing his feet? You are not the one who should be doing that. I should be washing your feet. There's this moment of submission to Jesus. There's a a moment of submission to authority. There's a moment where we humbly submit and we say, God, what is your will for me? And so Jesus comes to John and says, this is how it needs to be for now because this is how we can fulfill all righteousness. That's a curious phrase, isn't it? Fulfill all righteousness. That the baptism of Jesus by John in the desert surrounded by all those people who are just kind of, hmm, what? What's going on out here? That when John can baptize Jesus, it fulfills all righteousness. That's an interesting statement from Jesus. So let's first look at what baptism was used for in the Old Testament, what the Jewish tradition of baptism helped us practice. It was a purifying ritual. It was something that we would do to prepare ourselves for temple, for worship, to come into Jesus' presence. And it comes out of the idea of bathing. And the Leviticus laws and the Deuteronomical laws, all of these talk about being fresh, being prepared, being baptized or immersed or bathed in water to be cleansed. It's a symbol of beginning. It's a symbol of creation. John's baptized in anticipation, in expectation, looking forward to the renewal of our bodies. John said the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Dunk. The kingdom of heaven is near. Dunk. This was an anticipation. This was not something that he could provide in that baptism. It was not the cleansing of sins. It was not a sacrifice offering. But it was a moment of identification, a moment of anticipation. Because baptism to John was all about God's promise of renewal. It was all about God showing up in these moments and the process and the promise of renewal for all people everywhere. That when we started this whole process back in Genesis, when we were created and walked on this earth, we ruined the whole thing. We messed it up. And so the water then is about that promise of renewal. And now you're starting to think, well, wait a second, there's a lot of water in the Old Testament, especially in the first couple of chapters. You're right. And that's on purpose. That's on purpose here. Because water plays a major role in Israel's history. Right off the top of our heads, we can think of uh, four different locations, four different stories that involve water in a major way. The first one being creation. 
The Spirit hovered over the water. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered over the water. That's all there was, was water. It was void of form. It was churning. It was chaos. It was energy in its raw form. And the Spirit comes and hovers over it in an act of creation, in an act of renewal, in an act of forming you and I. The Spirit comes and forms the waters into what it is. And then we think a little bit later of how we continued to digress how we continued to repress our God and what he had called us to. And we think about Noah and the boat and the ark. And we think about the container that saved us. And we think in that story, well, well, God used the flood. Remember, we read this morning, he is the Lord over the flood in, in Psalm 29. He controls those waters. God used the flood. We read the story. I'm going to destroy the people. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to destroy mankind. I even regret that I made them, he says. But what is the product of the flood? It's new creation. It's renewal. It's a birth of something new. That God said, here are the waters that will cleanse us. Here are the waters that we will strip the world of its problems. And in destroying that, we create new things. We think about the most important story in the Old Testament, in the lives of the Israelites. The story of the exodus of Moses leading his people out of slavery and into the desert, into the wilderness. And the story of water where God comes down and splits the waters through Moses as his proxy. And through those waters, we were changed. Through those waters, the Israelites were slaves. And as they emerged from the waters to the other side, they became God's people. They became God's nation. They were free for the first time. And then they became wanderers, waiting to arrive in the promised land. And we read in the first book, the first chapters of Joshua, Moses has died on the mountain. And Joshua is the last one to lead the people. And the Jordan River itself stops. And they walk through those waters, finally becoming God's people, finally becoming God's nation, finally bearing God's name. But it takes a trip through the waters of the Jordan to do that. And my goodness, how could you not be enthralled, excited about where Jesus is now, standing in the river, standing in the waters of the Jordan that his people crossed through to become God's children? And again, here he is. Here is God's son. This is a rite of passage. This is a huge rite of passage. Jesus' baptism more likely signals his identification with God's kingdom, which John announces and anticipates, which Jesus himself will soon proclaim and inaugurate. Rites of passages, we think of them in terms sometimes in two different categories. Some rites of passages signal the end of something, 
And some rites of passages signal the beginning of something. So let me just give you an example. Graduation is the end of a formative process. Um, It tells the world that we are equipped to advance to a new dimension in our lives. All of this work that we've put through in studying and turning in finals and term papers and projects, we graduate and all of the work that comes before that is a culmination. So a rite of passage is graduation where we've ended something. It's a, it's a marker. It's a symbol of the end of something. Now, other rites of passages, for example, might be an inauguration. This is a rite of passage where we're starting something. And it marks the transfer of responsibility and maybe even the commissioning of a task. In an inauguration, we've elected you to do something in terms of a president or, or a governor or something like that. We've elected you. We've commissioned you for a specific task. Baptism is both a graduation and an inauguration. Let me give you a visual image of that. Um, Think of a rocket launch. So when the rocket is sitting there ready to go off, it is a culmination of years of planning, years of scientists and astrophysicists and astronauts training in zero-g and, and builders working on this and getting every component perfectly right to have that rocket sitting there at a zero-degree angle rather than one degree, because that would not be very good for the rocket to do that. So everything has gone into this moment, and the rocket standing there is a culmination. It's a graduation of all of those things coming together. And then as soon as it launches, as soon as it goes off, it's starting something new. The mission can now begin. Those astronauts riding in that craft, that ark, can move forward. They've inaugurated the mission. They've gone there for a purpose. And so we can think of baptism in that way. It's a rite of passage that needs to be considered from both directions coming toward and going away. It gives public witness to God's saving grace, one's new birth in Christ, and an incorporation into the body of Christ. At the same time, it's a commissioning for God's mission that we share with Christ. As Christ was inaugurated, as he was announced, as he was commissioned out of the waters... We have that same commission. We have that same mission that he does. Baptism is a rite of passage that signifies what has come prior, the ongoing story of God's redemption of God's people and a marker of our own being sent into the world to make disciples. And so we think about it from two directions, that reconciliation leads to a renewal of our relationship with God. That before baptism, before this rite of passage can even happen, before we even think about launching our rocket ships, we need to have a reconciliation. We need to have a return to the relationship of Jesus. A renewal of that relationship. The water is what signifies that. From the time of creation, of Noah, of Moses, of Joshua, The waters were there as a signifier, as a symbol to show that God's relationship 
was there and present. And so we've already talked about it. I've made hints at it. That the first step is submission. That as Christ comes near to John, John submits to Christ. Christ submits to God and says, we need to do it this way for now because it will fulfill all righteousness. This is the plan that God has for us. This step of obedience. It's not bowing to government or culture. In fact, it's a rejection of all the false gods that we hold in our lives. It's really never clear before that what false gods will reside on our shelf. But in true submission to God, in true submission and obeying Christ, those false gods and idols are revealed in our lives. What does it mean, though, that when so many baptized Christians continue to be committed to the false forms of redemption offered through modern political or economic systems or to consumerism or racism or sexism or tribalism, that have we truly submitted that when we go under those waters of baptism, that we are submitting to a new way of doing things, that we are submitting to a renewal of the systems of this world, that we can no longer hold those old things in our hands. As we heard at the end of our reading in Isaiah this morning, old things have passed away. The new things I declare to you. You'll know about the new things because I'm going to pronounce them in front of you. But all the things that I had talked about already, that's come to pass. Those things are gone now. They've faded away. You can trust me. I'm reliable. I'm faithful. Just look at how far we've come together. This relationship is about identification. Jesus goes on to challenge fundamental identity markers of his society. Let's go out to the desert. Let's not stay here in the temple. Let's not do this temple economic plan anymore. Let's not say that you have to be born into a certain tribe. Let's get rid of these border lines and ethnic boundaries that keep people from God. And Jesus says, we can all do this. I'm the son of God and I'm submitting to this process. And you can come in the waters too and submit to God because this is now your identification. This is you telling the world and identifying with God. It's a challenge to the strength and self-confidence that he manifests and it may be traced to his identity-affirming event that Jesus is who he says he is. And because we believe Jesus and because we believe God, we join in him with this celebration, this water renewal, this baptism, a redemption of all things. And really the third part about this is just a preparation. This relationship is all about preparation. This baptism is all about preparation. A new creation is being brought forth. The realization of God's intentions, not only for humankind, but for the whole of heaven and earth. I think it's really kind of a great thing that the very beginning of Matthew, the first book of our New Testament, says this is, account, this is an account of the genealogy of God. And the word genealogy there in Greek means Genesis. 
Matthew intended the book of Matthew to be a genesis of new creation, a mirrored approach to the first book of the Bible, the creation of the world from God and the creation and inauguration of the kingdom from Jesus, the generations of Christ who have come before him, led us to this point. And now Jesus says, let's make it bigger. Let's make it better. Let's do all things for this sake. It's God's intentions to disrupt human disobedience and now begin the restoration by the obedience of God's son and his servant. The suffering servant, as we read in Isaiah 42. My beloved servant, who I am well pleased with. So to fulfill all righteousness, this crazy sentence, this phrase, means nothing less than a realization of this vision. That we as people in our calling, we as people who follow Christ, we as people who have been baptized in that. Remember the unity that Paul preached. There is but one Christ, there is but one baptism. The vision of all of these things is that of submission and identification and preparation for what comes new. All these things that have led us here up to this point. Where we think as a modern audience that righteousness is primarily in terms of like our moral conduct. In Matthew, righteousness is a focus on restoration and a renewal and relationships made whole. The word shalom means peace. We think of it as the word peace, but actually a deeper Hebrew understanding of the word shalom is wholeness. And so when we screwed it up, when we broke the wholeness of God, when we broke the relationship of God and man, we broke the shalom, we broke the peace, we broke what was intended. God and man together and one And so through our renewal, we are called to participate in the renewal of all things. That this is our mission, that this is our purpose, that this is who we are, the vision going forward. That as we are baptized in Christ, it's not just merely about the salvations of humans. It's not about our transport from earth to heaven. It's about the reconciliation of whole heaven and earth. It's about bringing earth and heaven together as one in Christ. That whole piece is missing if we don't have in Christ. This is what new creation means and why the baptism of Jesus is not only a singular event for him, but the beginning of the fulfillment of God's purposes for the whole of heaven and earth. 